That is operative. As an elixir, I cannot be weaned of the earth's long contour, her river veins, down here in my cave. This is From the Roots, I'm Orlini Ghoul, and today I'm talking about nitrogen fertiliser and its central place in conflicts over agriculture. Most people who haven't been directly involved in farms or horticulture probably only have a passing understanding of the importance of nitrogen fertilisers in modern farming. There's something I want to be clear about up front. In these conversations, farmers can often feel very targeted, and therefore alienated from the whole discussion from the beginning. The difficult thing to confront is that in some ways they are the target, or at least a major one of a small number. If I can be forgiven for oversimplifying for a second... When trying to change the impacts of land use in Ireland, there are three main streams. Firstly, you've got domestic or residential and infrastructure. This affects how people build their homes, how those homes draw down resources and deal with waste. This gets managed through planning permissions, building regulations, sewer networks, septic tanks and electricity, and dozens of other elements. Secondly, state-owned land. The Irish state is the largest landowner in the country, and its holdings include 50% of commercial forestry, former commercial cutaway bogs run by Bordnamona, all the nature reserves and national parks, and many, many other things. The third is agriculture, which is one of Ireland's biggest industries and land uses. Now you'll notice that the first two streams I define are both focused on the state and government regulation, and both will involve multiple departments and overlapping but separate state agencies. They're complex, and that gives the people in charge quite a lot to hide behind, and anyone looking to improve things quite a lot to fight their way through. Usually, even trying requires background knowledge or expertise. On the other hand, everyone thinks they know what a farm is. By virtue of being the only part that people understand, farms become the part that everyone remembers. There is an unfairness to that, and I try to acknowledge it when I can. I'm sympathetic to people's frustration at seemingly being held to a higher standard than the government itself. However, just because there can be an unfairness to the level of focus or blame does not mean that there aren't serious issues that need to be addressed and changes that need to be made. Equally, many people calling for those changes don't always understand the day-to-day practical implications of what they want to put into place, which leads to further frustration. I'm primarily talking about practices that apply to livestock agriculture in this episode. I clarify this firstly because forestry is also covered by the Department of Ag, and sometimes it's not always clear whether forestry is being included in a particular dataset. For things like water pollution, both livestock agriculture and forestry are potential pressures on water quality, Sometimes figures on the subject present the two together and sometimes separately. It's worth checking any statistics you're using or reading. Secondly, I'm clarifying that I'm not unpicking the debate on livestock numbers in this episode. Nitrogen is one of three main fertilizer types used in Ireland. Nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium, shortened to N, P and K respectively. Potassium is usually labelled as potash if you see it for sale. Nitrogen and phosphorus are usually the two pointed to when issues of pollution come up in particular runoff from fields into watercourses. If nitrogen and phosphorus are both found in watercourses and are often caused by the same processes, why is there a focus in the media on nitrogen fertilisers? Primarily, it's because nitrogen is also a source of emissions. When nitrogen evaporates and becomes a gas, it's known as nitrous oxide, or N2O, and it's a very powerful greenhouse gas. Like I said in the pilot episode, we tend to convert everything into carbon equivalent figures for simplicity, because CO2 is the most abundant emission. 
but one ton of nitrous oxide is equivalent to 298 tons of carbon dioxide. Nitrous oxide lives in the atmosphere for over 100 years, and as well as that severe greenhouse effect, it also actively depletes ozone. While the Vienna Convention that I'll talk about next week has been a huge success story in terms of halting damage to the ozone layer, that success has become its own problem. People remember the ozone layer as something we were all really worried about in the 90s and early 2000s that isn't talked about anymore. That leads people to assume that it was never a big deal, rather than it was very serious and so action was taken and that action was successful. Now, people can be forgiven for not assuming that positive environmental action was taken on an international scale. Nitrous oxide is more commonly known as laughing gas, of funny American post-dentist viral videos fame. It's also been a popular rave drug in Ireland for a long time, and if you've ever seen one-inch metal canisters among litter in the woods, now you know why. But in terms of atmospheric emissions, N2O isn't coming from dentists or ravers, it's coming from nitrogen-based fertilisers. Globally, about 1% of all the nitrogen fertiliser applied to the soil to grow our food is emitted to the atmosphere as nitrous oxide. 1% doesn't seem like much, but it's sufficient that according to the Irish Environmental Protection Agency, N2O contributes to 9.4% of our carbon equivalent emissions overall. Those are the climate factors that have been true for a long time but they have been particularly prominent in the news lately because of rising prices. The war in Ukraine led to a global surge in the price of natural gas. Many people don't realise that natural gas is the feedstock for creating ammonia, a source of nitrogen for plants. Ammonia is also involved in the production of chemical phosphorus and potassium fertilisers. Between January 2021 and January 2022, fertiliser prices in Ireland rose by 127%. By April of that year, it was at nearly 180 That has begun to come down again this year. The Central Statistics Office released figures in August, saying that fertiliser prices in the country had been reduced by 45% on the previous year, but that still leaves them much higher than before this spike. You would think that skyrocketing prices, together with the environmental factors, would have prompted very rapid change, since the situation seems like a lose-lose. Yet unfortunately, it's once again not that simple. One issue that slows down change in situations like this is that people treat market fluctuations very differently than they treat government regulation or policy change. If 20 years ago any government had proposed a 50% environmental tax on vehicle fuels, that would have led to the collapse of that government. The market price has risen that much in the same period though, and people are expected to drive the same amount to function socially and economically. There is this sense that market values are a natural force outside of our control, ironically like the weather, Therefore, we have to work within that framework, while actions taken by our government are unfair impositions. The perception that our national government is something being done to us, while economic factors influenced by global geopolitics is a norm, is a larger issue than one just of fertilisers, and likely too large for the scope of this podcast today. But outside of that is the fact that our agricultural model is based on a species of grass which requires these fertilisers, and the scale of change required is continuously underestimated and undersupported. Perennial ryegrass is the most commonly sown grass species in Ireland. It's used in livestock pasture all around the country, and it regrows after grazing up to a certain point. All the three previously mentioned fertilisers, nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium, are recommended to use when grazing animals long-term on ryegrass swords. Sward is a term used in a lot of documents or advice around grass and pasture. It just refers to the area of grass in question, and then the upper layer of topsoil that it's rooting in. Traditional pasture fertiliser in Ireland is slurry. Slurry is dilute animal manure. 
Unlike chemical fertilizers, it contains multiple nutrients, but at less consistent levels. Media and policy seem to frequently confuse the issues of nitrous oxide emissions with chemical nitrogen use. It's important to point out that once nitrous oxide is in the atmosphere, it isn't particularly relevant whether it came from slurry or chemical fertilizers. There is a human bias towards something organic, like slurry from manure, as opposed to chemical being inherently greener. I tend to approach any use of the word chemical, like it's a curse word, with extreme scepticism, as it tends to reflect a poor understanding of the science or deliberate distraction. Equally, water pollution can come from slurry as well as chemical fertilisers. The advantage of slurry isn't its wholesomeness, which anyone who's ever cleaned out a dairy shed can promise you, but that it's an unavoidable byproduct of livestock in the first place. It has to go somewhere, and so can take the place of an inorganic fertiliser that's created through a fossil fuel-heavy process. When I went to see if there had been any studies done in Ireland, comparing the likelihood of leaching or runoff from chemical fertilisers versus slurry, I couldn't find anything. Work on the subject seemed to be focused on encouraging farmers to take up what Chagas are calling low emission slurry spreading or less. Chagask is the state agency responsible for agricultural research in Ireland. The majority of farms use tractor-drawn tankers with splash plates to spread slurry. If you're lucky enough to have never been up close to a splash plate, the name tells you all you need to know. However, just in the last year, there's been a big uptake in the adoption of the less method as part of farmers reducing the amount of chemical nitrogen they were buying in particular on dairy farms. In 2022, 75% of slurry was applied to land using less equipment on dairy farms versus 34% on cattle farms. This is considered a major factor in the reduction of emissions from these farms over the last 12 months. There's still a journey for Chagask in reaching their goal of having 90% of farms overall using these methods by 2027. Farm emissions fell in 2022, and the credit for that is largely placed on the reduced chemical nitrogen fertiliser use. Emissions even fell on dairy farms, where the average herd size actually increased. While it's encouraging that improving in this direction could make a real impact, I was not surprised that uptake generally hasn't been faster, though, the more I read into it. The less method requires different machinery, and farm machinery is a big investment, and so the government set up a scheme to offer grants. But these grants only apply to the purchase of this machinery, and they only cover at most 60% of the cost. Most farmers, particularly smaller farms, don't own the equipment that they only use seasonally, but instead rent it either from leasing companies or from neighbours. That kind of grant best benefits farms that already had half the cost of the goods to hand, and means that they're likely able to rent that machinery out at a profit. Meanwhile, the farms that didn't have the extra capital don't get any state assistance at all. Then there's the advice on timing slurry spreading as part of the less method. I read several documents that Jagas provided, containing sometimes vague, sometimes conflicting advice on the best timing. From what I could gather, the best practice calls for the soil temperature to be above 6 degrees, but not so hot and sunny that it oxidises the nitrogen too quickly, but equally can't have heavy rain or have the soil be saturated. One set of guidelines just said when the conditions were suitable and did not elaborate. And while I'm sure the Goldilocks window does exist somewhere in mid-April, I refer back to the issue of farms sharing equipment when timing is so significant. As well as applying fertilisers differently, there's also the process of reducing their use altogether by phasing out the species that so relies on them, perennial ryegrass. That's when you hear people talking about the mixed swords or multi-species pasture. 
The Foley Farm near Tallow in Waterford drew quite a bit of media attention two years ago after they successfully phased out chemical nitrogen use on their land while maintaining it as a high-output dairy farm. The farm produces around 8,000 litres of milk per cow per annum, which is well above the national average, and saved nearly €40,000 in 2021 on fertiliser and associated costs. The process, as reported, began with switching to a multi-species sward approach in 2018, bringing in different varieties of grasses, clovers and herbs while slowly decreasing chemical nitrogen use. 2021 was the first year applying no chemical nitrogen to grazing ground, and farm yields did not drop. Reports that I read said chemical fertilisers, so I assume some organic fertilisers like slurry were still used, but it wasn't specified. This week, nitrogen fertilisers re-entered the news when the EU ended the nitrogen derogation given to Ireland after a lot of contention. For many years, Ireland has been permitted to go above EU levels, but that was threatened due to falling Irish water quality. Two of Ireland's influential lobby groups, the Irish Farmers Association, IFA, and the Irish Creamery Milk Suppliers Association, came out strongly that the derogation should be upheld regardless of the fact that water quality standards were not being met. It's worth pointing out here that derogation, a word meaning exemption from or relaxation of a rule or law, is not referring to a reduction in what is considered the standard upper limits, but a reduction of the amount of special treatment Ireland was already getting. The IFA and Creameries Association leaders could be accused of using somewhat inflammatory language during this debate, since IFA President Tim Cullinan wanted the Agriculture Minister Charlie McConnellogue to show his teeth, and Pat McCormack of Creameries didn't think the minister had come back from Brussels with enough scars from the battlefield. I hope, if nothing else, in this episode I've demonstrated that this is a nuanced issue, and so would hope we could avoid taking that kind of polemic stand in any direction. Though my personal view is that rural water quality most affects rural communities. Next week I'll be discussing Ireland's environmental, legal and regulatory systems in order to provide context for the new nature restoration law agreed by the EU last week. Thanks for listening. From the Roots podcast is not associated with any groups, and any opinion which inevitably shapes the information provided is entirely my own. It's published under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial 4.0 International Public License. Thank you.